Well, the uh, worship to the Father, because we have been brought back to him and have him recovered as our inheritance, our portion, uh, surely reminds me of Psalm 16:5. Jehovah is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. The cup that we drank this morning was a sure sign that God has been regained by us. You maintain my lot. The measuring lines have fallen on pleasant places for me. Indeed, the inheritance is beautiful to me. You agree with me that God is beautiful? Amen. And Christ is beautiful? Amen. That's our inheritance. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, I'm going to change the way I do things. And that is, I'm going to stick to the outline. <laughs> but before we do this, I also like us to turn to learn the next new song first. And so you have in your little uh, yellow sheet on the right side, you have this song called The Jubilee Has Come. And that was a hymn I wrote this last week, the second one. Um, and of course, this particular song. Um, is uh, written more strictly based on Luke 4. Luke 4, and that is the Lord's proclamation of the coming of the New Testament Jubilee. And so um, you will see this. That tune is a very good tune, The Comforter Has Come. We just change it to The Jubilee Has Come. So sisters, can you play the tune for us? one time. Uh, don't play it too slowly, okay? All right. You have to stir our spirit when you play. Go. Okay, let's go. The voice of grace is heard. Its sound the spirit stirs. The scriptures now fulfill. It speaks of God's good will. Christ Jesus has appeared. His proclamation's clear. The jubilee has come. The jubilee 
has come, the jubilee has come, the prophets will aware, the Lord this word declare, the year acceptable, his full salvation shows, the jubilee has come upon God's Spirit did descend the Savior to anoint the Herod to appoint bring gospel to the poor the broken hearts to cure the Jew Believe has come, the jubilee has come, the jubilee has come, the prophets were aware, the Lord this word declare, the year acceptable, his full salvation shows. Believe has come for captives freedom claim set liberty aflame the blind to see their vision to receive give all oppressed release from bondage set them free the Jubilee has come, the Jubilee has come, the Jubilee has come, the prophets were aware, the Lord is worth declare, the year acceptable, his full salvation shows. The Jubilee has come. Oh, speak this note of cheer. Proclaim it far and near. Where human sorrows found. Where misery abounds. The gospel now make plain. Ring out the blessed refrain. The Jubilee has come. The Jubilee has come. The prophets were aware. The Lord is worth declared. Acceptable. that you believe has come. How do you like it? I think there's a lot of feeling here. How about we sing this to America? Let, let's ima imagine America is here. Let's sing it to her. And let's sing it to middle America, Amen. where we are. Amen. Let's sing it to the Midwest. Amen. They need to hear this song. Amen. 
They need to know Jubilee is here. Okay? So we sing it like we're proclaiming to them, not just to sing it to ourselves, but sing it to the sinners, the seekers, the saints. How about, sisters, you stand up and sing it first, the verse one. And when it comes to the chorus, the other gender joins in, but we can just sit there until we sing the second verse. All right? So sisters, sing it like you're proclaiming. You're calling out. You're letting them know this great gospel, these good tidings of Jubilee. All right. Sing it, sisters. No it speaks of God's good word. Amen. Amen. Has come, the jubilee has come, the prophets were aware, the Lord Himself declare. Salvation showed the jubilee has come. To appoint, bring gospel to the poor, the broken hearts to cure, the Jubilee has come, the Jubilee has come, the Jubilee has come, the prophets were aware. The Lord this word declared. His full salvation shows the Jubilee has come. Amen. Cause all the blind to see the vision to receive. Amen. Amen. The Jubilee has come. Amen. The Jubilee has come. The Jubilee has come. The prophets were aware. The Lord this word declare, the year acceptable, his full salvation shows, the jubilee has come. Oh, speak this note of cheer, proclaim it far and near, where human sorrows found. 
where misery abounds. The gospel now may claim, ring out this blessed ring. The jubilee has come. The jubilee has come. The jubilee has come. The prophets were aware. The Lord this word declare. The year acceptable. His full salvation shows. The jubilee has come. The chorus one more time. The jubilee has come. The jubilee has come. Amen. Himself we Jubilee has come. Amen. We probably need to go to the street corners, the parks, wherever, just to sing this. People walking by, we just sing it to them. Well, um, today, I'd like to start to share with you that uh, in some recent meetings of the co-workers of North America, and that would be after the Kansas City conference, we were before the Lord concerning the Lord's move in this continent, and more particularly in America. And after much fellowship, as we review the history, like we did in our first meeting, uh, we came to sort of an agreement uh, or a consensus of a three-pronged emphasis or focus regarding the Lord's work um, in the USA. Now, this is not to say there's nothing else going on, that we, we don't do anything else. It does not mean that. But it means these three things we consider uh, as strategically important uh, for the future, for the coming years uh, of the Lord's move in the U.S. And here are the three things. Then number one, we need to focus on or invest in <clears throat> the gaining of the local population, the local people, <clears throat> uh, what we would call the typical Americans. And I should like to explain here again, lest there would be uh, confusion or questions or concerns. Uh, our love is for all men. Our burden is for all peoples, from every tribe, every nation, uh, every people and tongue. God would 
uh, redeemed them and called them to become a nation of priests. So we are colorblind. We are not uh, ethnically specific. Uh, we just love men with the love of God. God so loved the world. However, because of the history that we have in this country, and very much so uh, beyond our control and uh, doings, that today, relatively speaking, the proportion, the proportion, the ratio, R-A-T-I-O, uh, amongst us in the churches, generally, um, is not balanced. Uh, in fact, it is a bit lopsided when you look at the demo demographics of this country. <clears throat> in this country today, I uh, alluded to these statistics already, <clears throat> that today, uh, the number of uh, non-Hispanic white uh, Caucasian, people of Caucasian origin, still in the low 60s, low 60s percentage. Then you have the African-American people, and that percentage have always held quite constant, regardless of the growth of the absolute number in our population, and that would be around 12%. The third group of people that are gaining minority-slash-majority status would be the Hispanic people, the uh, people from the Latin origin. And this is that group of people that has the highest growth rate in this country, as we all know. And that, their percentage is around 17-18%, depending on which survey you believe in. <clears throat> And if you add all these three peoples together, that comes to the low 90% percentile out of 100%. And the rest, uh, five, six, seven percent are so-called the others. The others means including the Asians, the Indians, the Middle Easterners, uh, and so on and so forth. And so this is the present mix of the population. So um, today in the church life, in the Lord's recovery here, uh, there is a kind of underrepresentation, numerically speaking, underrepresentation of the first three uh, categories of people, which add, adds up to over 90%. But if you look at our church life today, they are hardly close to 90 plus percent. Um, they would be probably a little bit more than half maybe. We have not done an official uh, census on this, but I think we are quite certain that it is around there. And of course, depending on which region you're in in the country or which church you're in, those numbers would vary and those, uh, the ratio will be different. So as I said to the coworkers, 
We are not about, we are not ratio, R-A-C-I-A-L. Our concern is ratio, R-A-T-I-O. All right, so make it very clear uh, uh, where we are on this. So uh, in order for, and you, will, you can see in the uh, second outline that I didn't cover, uh, but it's all there. So today we are not, uh, uh, more uh, um, uh, interested in a certain kind of people just because they are of a certain ethnicity. But for the Lord's testimony, for the Lord's expression in a particular place or country, it should be mainly, that testimony should be comprised of the people in that place. So if we go to Russia, after 50 years of labor, there were only a few Russians in our midst, I would say that we have done something quite, uh, quite incomplete. Would you not agree with me? Or if you go to China today and you raise up a church and you, you find only one or two Chinese, there's something wrong. I would not call that a local testimony from that angle. So I hope, brothers and sisters, we are pure in our mind in this matter Amen. and right in our spirit. Uh, the Chinese-speaking saints, I hope you would not be unhappy with me. Uh, I'm a Chinese, by the way. Uh, I love my own countrymen, but I do not speak as a Chinese standing here. Uh, actually, in the new man, there's no Chinese and no American and, and, and nothing. There's only Christ who is all and in all. So we're clear about that. However, we're in America and we're in this place. And I can give you some statistics, especially concerning uh, this area of the country. I have right here uh, in two pages the United States demographics to date. A summary, I have every, I have break down the region, uh, nationwide, let me, uh, I hope you're not bored by numbers, okay, uh, but uh, um, today the population of the U.S. is 325 million, and across the country, 77% today is still Caucasian, the white people, 77%. 7%, you say, well, you say 60-something. I think here they include the Hispanic white and other white people. By the way, do you know that there are many, many Russian-speaking Caucasians in this country? Actually, there are more of those than, those than the Chinese. You know, there's a brother, a co-worker called Oscar from, uh, from uh, Moscow, and for, uh, because of his status and this and that, he has been with us in Anaheim. And one day he quote this number to argue with me. I said, there are more Chinese than Russians. No, he said, there's more Russians than Chinese <laughs> in the US, in the US. Well, I think we checked a little bit. I think he won the case. Uh, they just look like good old Americans. In fact, they are the real Caucasians. They're from the Caucasus, yeah? <clears throat> the Caucasus Mountains. All right. So anyway, 
77 white, 13.3 black, 5.6 Asian. Asian includes not just Chinese, but Korean and people from, from the Far East, you know, Japanese, what have you. And 2.6 multiracial, 1.2 Native American, 0.2% Pacific Islander. I still don't know who they are. And then there's 17.6, here we go, Hispanic. All right. Now, just to give you an idea, <clears throat> in Alaska, they have less than a million people, 66% white. Um, California, almost, almost 40 million people, 72% white and 15% Asian. As you can imagine down there or out there, uh, there are a lot more Asians down by the coast, you know, across the Pacific. Uh, the African-American percentage is lower, close to 4%, etc. I'll skip Hawaii, not because I dislike Hawaii, but anyway, we don't have the time. Uh, over there, they have almost 40% Asian uh, in Hawaii, uh, as we can imagine. Okay, uh, in Mid-Atlantic, Mid-Atlantic, Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania, Virginia, D.C., West Virginia. Uh, the Caucasian uh, percentage is 67.7%. Uh, the uh, African-American, 20%, uh, close to 5% of Asian. Now, Midwest, now this is where we are now, so pay attention. Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, uh, South Dakota, Ohio, and Wisconsin. Here, guess what the number, the percentage of the uh, Caucasian Americans are? 84.2%. African American, 2.2% Asian. And, and then others, all right? I think you get the point of this region that we're in. Mountain states, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, uh, they have about also very high, actually higher than here, although over there the population is sparse, not unlike in the Midwest. So they have 87% white people, and they have a higher percentage of Na Native American, 3.3%, 1.7 African American, 1.4% Asian. New England. Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont. And they have also very high of the uh, percentage of the white people, 87.5 and 4.7% of black people and 3% of the uh, who are Asians. Pacific Northwest, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, they have also high percentage of Caucasian Americans, 83.3%. 4% Asian and 2% black. South Central, Oklahoma and Texas, with, uh, with a large population, 32 million people. There, uh, they have only 57% uh, non-Hispanic white and 23% Hispanic, 23% Hispanic. Um, <clears throat> Uh, California, actually almost 40% Hispanic. 
40% in California, and you have 23% in uh, South Central, 7.4% African Americans. Southeast, big area. Uh, would, he, would you call that the buckle of the Bible belt or something like that? Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. And here, uh, the uh, uh, white folks comprise 71.1%, and then 23.2% are the um, uh, African Americans, 1.8% Asian, 7.2% Hispanic. Of course, if you break it down to states, use, if you go to Florida alone, it would be quite a different picture with a high percentage of Hispanic population. Then uh, uh, finally, Southwest Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, and Utah, 15 million people, 79.4% white, 5.2% black, 4.5% uh, Native Americans, many Native Americans there, um, and 3.9% Asian, and 31.8% Hispanic. So, um, I think uh, I have uh, made my point clear, very clear. Across the board, in the entire United States, still the supermajority is the conglomeration of the Caucasian American, the African American, and the Hispanic American. And for the church to be reflective of those demographics, as it should uh, in a normal situation, uh, our population membership in the uh, churches, uh, local churches in the recovery, should more or less re re reflect that. I'm not asking for an absolute reflection, but more or less. But today, uh, our percentage is quite, quite uh, uh, short of this, or quite uh, lopsided. So we are very burdened, again, uh, not having any kind of uh, color eyeglasses on us when we look at these things, but really for the Lord's interest. Um, and uh, today there in some local churches, the, uh, uh, the non-Asians, when they come, they say, this is an Asian church. And I don't blame them. Do you? Do you blame them for saying that? Because they... That's how they see things immediately. And you have to take account of that. Um, they say, your truth is wonderful, I love it, but this is not my circle. This is not my people. This is not my, my society. And, uh, and you have to um, um, be understanding of that. Uh, so, um, now, uh, this does not mean, you know, uh, I speak especially to our second generation. Many of our Asian uh, uh, brothers and sisters, we have our second gen, myself included. I have two daughters. Uh, um, my wife is also Chinese, second gen Chinese. So they are sort of third gen Chinese. And if I tell them, uh, uh, I have to be very careful when I talk about these things to them. They say, Aren't we Americans? You may not be, meaning me. I'm a fresh of the boat, they call them, a fob. 
I literally came here on a boat. You know, in, in, in my days, they're starting to have the 747 and uh, people come here on airplanes. I was one of the last to come here by a real boat. <laughs> the name of that boat is President Cleveland. It's American Lines. You know, it was one of the major passenger uh, uh, ship uh, 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 company. I was on President Cleveland uh, that came from, uh, uh, from Hong Kong via Yokohama. Uh, first port, port of call was Honolulu and then ending up in San Francisco, uh, where I landed. That's 1967, 1967. So my, my daughters would say, of course, Dad, you are fresh off the boat. You can say you are some Chinese. But we're Americans. We're born here. Even our skin color is yellow, but we are full-fledged Americans. And I agree with them. I agree with them. They're not second class. So I hope that we have uh, parents and young people, you would not be stumbled with what I'm saying, okay? And we love you. We care for you. Um, we like, uh, even as we preach the gospel, we like to see more other people coming. You know, uh, there are tons of Indians now, East Indians, in the Bay Area. These people are fantastic software engineers for some reason. And we, we need to gain many Indians into the church life. You agree with me? Uh, we need to gain uh, some uh, um, Arabs, and, uh, like they're doing in Germany. So we need to gain Persians. We need to gain uh, Russian-speaking uh, people. We need to gain uh, all kinds of peoples into the church life. The U.S. is the best place for the testimony of the one new man. Amen. This is a melting pot. It should be that way. So I hope we understand. However, due to history, our number is quite disproportionate. And the more we go on this way, and if we don't do something about it, it's going to take on its own life and continue in that way. And that would not be good for the Lord's uh, testimony. So that would be the first thing we're burdened for. In our gospel work, in our work of outreach, we want to specifically ask the saints who, are, who yourself are Caucasian, who yourself are African American, who yourself are uh, Hispanic Americans, that you, and there's nothing wrong with that, for you to be burdened for your own kind. Paul was like that. Paul was a Jew. He said he would, he, he is so burdened for his own people and when he went out to preach the gospel, those were the people that he first reached until they reject him, rejected him totally. Then he uh, uh, shook the dust of his feet and said, we will go to the Gentiles. But his heart as a Jew was for his own brethren. And that's nothing wrong with that. So uh, we need uh, the, these brothers and sisters among us to rise up to be burdened for your own kind. And let us reject the thought once and for all that it is hard or impossible to gain the Caucasian Americans. Shall we reject that thought? Amen. Somehow that has been planted into us and it's stuck in our subconsciousness even uh, so that we think to go and get some uh, other people is easier. It's harder to get your, 
the, uh, 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 your own kind. No, that, that is wrong. That is wrong. You must be burdened for your own kind. 77% of them are still in this country and comprised of these people. Many seekers among them. Many lovers of the Lord. Okay? And then uh, uh, the, um, the African-American people and Amer African-American saints. <clears throat> you know, recently uh, there are these... Uh, these brothers among us with a burden to gain their own kind. Let me tell you, I was one of the first to jump on that wagon because I'm so burdened. I'm so burdened to gain them. And, and if there's 12% across the country of, you know, in the country demographics of African-Americans, in the church life, do you know what is our percentage of brothers and sisters like that? I think less than 1%. 0.5% in the Lord's recovery versus 10-12% in society. So that is lopsided. That is lopsided. So now I'm fully standing with the brothers. I like to even join in their work. I want to lend them a hand to do what I can to gain more and more African-American uh, uh, people, Americans, for the Lord's testimony and recovery. Amen? Amen? And then, of course, the Hispanic saints. I mean, this uh, uh, country, um, uh, you know, you know they're, they're coming, they're, they're here, and, uh, and they're growing. And um, so we need to um, labor on them. We have a Chinese-speaking work, we have Chinese, uh, excuse me, Spanish-speaking work, Spanish-speaking meetings. Very burdened for these brothers who are laboring there to really gain more and more of the Spanish-speaking. They're all from Latin American countries. They're not just from Mexico. Don't think they're all Mexicans. Many El Salvadorians, right? Many uh, um, Peruvians, many uh, Colombians, many uh, Puerto, Puerto, well, Puerto Ricans, actually, they're part U.S. territory, and there are uh, many uh, Central American states, right? Um, uh, uh, where? Uh, huh? Guatemala, uh, El, uh, Costa Rica, El Salvador, huh? Venezuela, and then you go south, you have all these other Spanish-speaking countries. Yeah. I think we all need to learn Spanish, you know? Uh, this country, you, anymore, you cannot just do with one language. You need to do with several languages. And so uh, we need to gain them. We need to gain them very much. So um, um, I'm very, brothers and sisters, I'm not a bit Racist in any way, uh, God forbid. Uh, we only care for the Lord's interest. All right. So I hope. Now, here we are in uh, Middle America, in the Midwest, and I already quoted to you uh, um, uh, here you, you, you have about one fifth of the nation's population, uh, the, the states. Um, and it's 
uh, of the Caucasian Americans, 85 percent. Um, you know, t let me come back to the African American uh, 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 saints and, 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 and burden. I hope you don't mind. You know, I'm, I'm a I'm not a very politically correct person, all right? Uh, I just want to be right with the Lord. Um, you know, uh, we were recently talking about the city of Detroit. You know, uh, um, you know, this singer, Aretha Franklin, was just memorized there. And uh, that city is 80% black, 80% African-American, Detroit. And it is experiencing a renaissance and a comeback, that city. Billions of dollars is poured in. It's not what you heard a few years back, that city. It's coming around. Now, if you ask me, today if I go to Detroit, let's say you send me to Detroit to raise up the church life in that locality. I will tell you, my plan is very simple. That in that church, I will aim for every 10 saints, eight of them will be African Americans. Amen. You have a problem? <laughs> Are you, you have a problem? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about, it's not about just race per se or color per se. It's about testimony. And if you have a church in Detroit that is the other way around with one or two African-American saints, the rest with other people, the local folks will come and say, that's, that's not, I don't belong here. I love it. Your dear brothers and sisters, the truth is wonderful. But this is, this is not our kind of a place. You see what I'm saying? And the church has very much to, is integrated with our community, with our family. And this is how it should be, the church life. So I just make that little point for all of us. Uh, I, I want to, I don't want to have misunderstanding. I don't want people going out of this room and start saying, what is going on, you know? Uh, please, please, be very, very sober about this. There's much consideration and fellowship about this. And I can tell you the co-workers, the senior co-workers all agree with this. But that does not mean we stop taking care of the Koreans or stop taking care of the Chinese. And no. Look, I tell you, after the first generation, the second generation will come. And they will all be Americans, you know. And you know, today, there are more and more mixed uh, interracial marriages in society, and even in the church life. You may not believe it. One time, Brother Witness Lee said, he said, the best marriages are interracial. <laughs> I still couldn't figure that one out. <laughs> but, but my two daughters marry two non-Chinese. Uh, to uh, 
two young men from the South. Georgia boys. That's how I got to start to like sweet tea, you know? And, and, and hot wings and, uh, and uh, 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 deep fried turkey on th at Thanksgiving. Well, uh, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. Uh, um, uh, in the church life and so forth, apps, I, we celebrate that, right? But brothers and sisters, we are talking about we need to have gates. You know, in New Jerusalem, it's a four-square city with 12 gates. There's not only one gate. Now, now, in the city, there's only one throne, no doubt. And there's only one, what? Street. And there's only one river. And there's only one tree. That's after you get in. But there's not one gate. And because if it's one gate, it would be really hard. So there is sovereignly 12 gates. That is, means what? It faces all the entire earth in four directions. And each direction has three gates. That means choose your gate. <laughs> choose your gate. You know, one gate is brown, one gate is white, one gate is yellow, you know. One gate is black, one gate is whatever color. Choose your gate. But you know what? When, after you come in, oops, we're on the same street. We're going to the same throne. Amen. We're all going to drink the same river. Amen. We're all going to eat the same tree. Amen. And by the time we reach the throne, we all will look alike. Amen. I mean, we all look like Christ. Amen. That's the new Jerusalem. So don't be afraid of more gates. I feel the Lord's recovery. We need to open more gates. Like we have campus gates, we have uh, community gates, we have uh, young people gates, we have all kinds of gates, the more the better. Come on in, wash your ropes and enter into the gates to eat the tree of life. This is the burden. I hope by now you're getting more clear. And by the second generation, they'll all be about the same, all mixed together or, you know, um, uh, that's just how it is. All right. So, it almost feels like I won't get to the outline again. <laughs> All right. The second thing in our strategy, the second thing, is that we affirm once more that we will invest heavily in the work on the campuses, college campuses. Now, from the very beginning of the Lord's recovery in this country, uh, indeed, even in the Far East, we have done this strategically. Why? Because young people, according to their age and station in life, they are more open, they're more flexible, they are more unencumbered, they're more free, they're looking for the meaning of life, they're trying to find destiny, am I right? All of this um, makes them more open and ready to receive the
the high gospel. Not only so because they're young, they have, there are many years in front of them for them to be molded by the Lord, for them to be transformed, for them to grow in life, for them to be trained and perfected to be useful in the master's hands. So to gain the young people, especially on the campuses, I would even say in the high school, this should be our strategy. Now that doesn't mean we don't gain older people. That doesn't mean we don't gain uh, people in the workplace, people in our neighborhood. No, don't take me wrong. We have to spread this gospel far and wide, everywhere, in every level of society. We need to preach the gospel to your, to your congressmen, okay? We, we need to preach the gospel everywhere. But, but, as they say, to get the bang for the buck, you know, to, to get the, hot, uh, uh, um, uh, the, the, the optimal return of our investment, truly it has been proven again and again, not just with us, but in the Christian work in general, that the investment on the young people will pay off. So, we affirm that, and so part of our, this part of our strategy means we are going to intensify our work on the campuses up to date. Listen to me, up to date right now. Our presence, that means the presence of the Lord's recovery, our work, is only in 20%, 20% of all the major universities in the United States that has over 20,000 student body. Did you get what I said? I'm not counting even other many schools, two-year colleges, community colleges, vocational schools. I'm not counting them. Just saying four-year colleges, four-year univer universities that have population, student body over 20,000, we're only in 20% of them. 80%, we're not even there. We should be in all of them. And this translates into something. That is, we need to gain more young people, send them to the full-time training to be trained, and then raise them up as full-timers. We need more full-timers across the United States to labor on the campuses to gain more and more of these young people of all colors, sizes, and shapes. On the campuses, uh, young people, they are more inclusive, more diverse, am I right? And less, you know, prejudiced as a rule compared to older people. So this is a good place to gain them. So this is one thing uh, that we are affirming. I'd like to tell you that 10 years ago, 10 years ago in uh, US and Canada, we have close to 500 full-timers, 470 to be exact. That's 10 years ago. Today, 2018, that number has dropped to 320. In 10 years, we lost 150 full-timers, and that is absolutely the wrong direction. Today, actually 10 years later, we should have 1,000 full-timers all across this country, running around in the campuses, preaching the gospel, shepherding new ones. But no, we dropped to 320.
And that is a shame. So now we need to rebuild. I look to the day, very soon, we will have a thousand full-timers at least all across America. Amen? Amen? And some would be our own children. And here I would say a word again. Parents, parents, you love the Lord. And if you love your children, you consecrate them to him. You don't hold back. Uh, I have a word for parents at another time when I'm with them, including young parents. Your kids are this small right now, including you. <clears throat> because it will be very quick they become like this. And be very quick they go to college. In no time they'll finish college. I can tell you from experience, too fast, too fast. Pray the prayer of Hannah. Hannah's prayer is actually two parts. The first part was her prayer when he, she was barren. You know, she couldn't have children. So, you, you know the story. She went to the, uh, um, uh, the tabernacle uh, to pray. And so Eli, you know, the, the priest, saw her mumbling, moving her mouth, and thought, this lady is drunk. She said, I'm not drunk. I am just miserable. I am in anguish because I have no child and, uh, and uh, looked down by my husband, something like that. And so she, she prayed. She prayed pray with bitterness, a sort of bitterness. And more or less, Jehovah, give me a child or I die. It's life and death. He pleaded with Jehovah. But here's the second part of her prayer. Not just asking. Asking is the first part of Hannah's prayer. There's a second part. The second part goes, if you give me a child, I will lend him to you. Amen. That is a Nazarite vow that a mother is making for her child. The child was not even in existence. She was not even conceived. But she prayed the second prayer. And that prayer is a vow. Dear sisters and brothers, parents, pray that prayer. Not just to ask, for blessing, ask for a gift from God. All children are gifts from God. But that's only 50%. It would please God to, to hear the second half. And that is, God, if you give me a child, this child will be yours to serve you as a Nazarite. There's nothing greater to have our offspring and children serve Jehovah. As for me and my house, we will serve Jehovah. That's Joshua's word. Joshua's word. That will only bring about blessing. 
Now, let me go on to the third point. The third point in our strategy, and that is we feel we need to, for obvious reasons, to focus our work geographically in what we call the heartland of America. Heartland. Now, there are many definitions of heartland, but let me give you my definition. It's somewhere from the Rockies, Rockies to the Appalachians, from the Canadian border to the Mexican border or the Gulf Coast. Actually, when I say Appalachians, mountains, I mean even all the way to the coastline. Now, we have two coasts, all right? We have two coasts. And today, as far as the distribution of the saints and the churches in the recovery, we are heavy on both coasts. That's because of history. And it's not right or wrong, that's just a fact. We're heavy on both coasts. This middle part of America, relatively speaking, we don't have as many saints and we don't have as many churches. And this area of the heartland includes what we call the lakes, the Great Lakes, the Midwest, the Plains, the Rockies, South Central, which is your Texas, Oklahoma area, and then the entire Deep South, and the South in general, the Southeast, all the way to Florida. I include the Carolinas, I include Virginia. This whole swath of real estate, that whole area, relatively speaking, is underrepresented as far as the Lord's recovery is concerned. And a big part of this is called the Bible Belt. Bible Belt. And I will tell you, when Brother Witness Lee was alive, he was most burdened, starting from the 80s onward, most burdened for this part of the United States. That this part of the country is filled with a lot of these original migrants from Europe full of the um, 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 African-Americans and clearly full of the Hispanic Americans that have come from the South. They're here. And so while we thank the Lord for what he's doing or what he did on the coast, we agree also that we need to put much energy um, and assets, if you will, spiritual assets, into this part of the U.S. to gain the majority of those people. So these are the three things, all right? Now I say this, brothers and sisters, so that you would have something to pray for. I hope that you will not just take this and uh, just merely talk about it. You will pray in this part of the country, there's also a high, higher percentage of Christians versus the coast. Most of the people of the liberal persuasion resides on the coast. But this part, the middle part of America, 
I still have a very high percentage of Christians, and I have it here. I have it here. In the Midwest here, 75% Christian. 75% Christians. In uh, South Central, 77%. Southeast, 75%. Versus in other places, 50%, 60%, like California and, and uh, those kind of places. So that means there are the seeking ones, lovers of the Lord here as well. Okay, I think that's good enough for this. What time is it? 11. We're ending at 12, right? All right, okay. So, run sisters, I would uh, ask all of you to not just go and talk about this and really go to the Lord and pray for this. We, I share this with purity to you. I share this with purity to you. Um, I hope you would receive it with purity uh, and pray for the, this. Now, in all parts of the uh, country, we are speaking the same thing. I tell you, the United States, the saints, the churches, the co-workers have never been one like today. We've never been so one like today. This is a fact. That doesn't mean we're entirely perfected in that oneness, but the Lord has done a lot, a lot. Many situations that give rise to a kind of regionalism, you know, that kind of practice to separate or divide up the country, we have less and less of that. By practicality, we still need to move and work by districts in the country. But in spirit, in move, uh, in direction, in the trumpet sound, we are one. The whole country as an army in the Lord's recovery will move together. And that's part of the trumpet blast. Amen? Saints, we need every one of you in this. All of you uh, must be involved with this, engage with this, not just some kind of co-workers. Now this morning, uh, I have no time to get into this full outline. And by the way, message one, message two, and my word up to this point this morning basically cover the first two outlines. But please don't throw those outlines away. Go back and read it. Uh, it'll fill in a lot of blanks for you uh, uh, from the ministry. Very, very useful. I have here, look, look at my outlines. My outlines are different from yours. You just get an outline. I get a whole page of reference material on a single outline. We draw from the ministry from all these sources just to prepare one outline. So these are not done lightly or carelessly, with much consideration and prayer.
and fellowship. Now, this morning, uh, with the remaining time, uh, actually 15 minutes I will just take, and then we would like to have some sharing again from the brothers and sisters, and then we want to leave the last 15 minutes for some very, very important fellowship related to this. And we'll stop at noon. So you don't need to absolutely follow, follow this outline. You can go back and read. I'm just going to use this to help me share the burden in 15 minutes. The title of this is Recovering the New Testament Priesthood of the Gospel. And I would like to go back to my history talk uh, yesterday morning to frame it that way. And that is in the mid-80s, mid one of the main, main thing, a very strategic thing that our brother did was he went back to Taiwan for five years to study the way to go on in the Lord's recovery for the, sa for the saints to live and to serve in a proper way. And through the scriptures, our brother came back with what we call, well, what he called the God-ordained way. Actually, the God-ordained way could also be called the scripture-revealed way. That means this is the way presented in the scriptures. And we're coming back to the scriptures to practice the church life. And one of the main thing, one of the main things in that God-ordained way, if I may say actually the central thing in that God-ordained way, is actually the recovering, though the recovery of a New Testament priesthood of the gospel. That means all the saints, every saint, as a priest, in a priesthood, you know, collectively, would what? Would serve in the area of the gospel. Now, the basis of this is in one single, not one single, but the main verse is in the book of Romans, chapter 15. And verse 16. And I'm going to quickly read it to you. Okay. Romans 15 and 16. It says. That I might be. This is Paul. A minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. A laboring priest of the gospel of God in order that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, having been sanctified in the Holy Spirit. So what we see here is Paul telling us that he was an appointed minister of Christ to the Gentiles, to the nations, and specifically he is a laboring priest. He was a priest of the gospel of God. Now, what did that priest do? He says it. He says it here. He says, in order that the offering, now pay attention to this word, offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable 
being sanctified in the Holy Spirit. So Paul was seeing himself in the picture of an Old Testament priest. These Old Testament priests, what they did, their job in, is not only to maintain the tabernacle or the house or the temple, but their job is to what? Is to prepare offerings. You know, the bulls, the goats, and all manners of offerings to be burned, to be sacrificed on that burnt offering altar as God's food for God's satisfaction and enjoyment. That is our worship to God. And so Paul had that picture squarely in front of him when he said this. So he said, I am a priest, a New Testament priest, not an Old Testament one. I don't offer bulls and goats. That's, that age is over. I offer men. I offer Gentiles. I offer people as those bulls and goats to God. So his job is to offer sinners to God. But these are not just sinners, but these sinners, in order to be acceptable by God, to be accepted by God, has to be sanctified. They have to be holy. They, they cannot be dirty, just like all those bulls and goats. They have to be washed. They have to be, you know, Go through a, they have to go through a process and by the time they offer to God, they are holy, set apart, sanctify animals. They are plucked off from the field and from other places. It's the same with people. That in the field where all these dirty animals, but the chosen ones elect by, elected by God, these are the ones who would receive the gospel. They would receive the word of the truth. They would repent. They would turn to God. And these ones would be what? In the process of their salvation, sanctified. Amen. Not only by the blood of Jesus, but by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Paul said that in 1 Corinthians, you, such were some of you, but you are now sanctified. Amen. You are cleansed, not only by the blood, but by but in the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's saying here. Dear brothers and sisters, here is the simple point of the scripture revealed way for all of us believers to live and serve in the church today. And that is everyone is a priest. You, you are a priest. I am a priest. It's not just the elders. It's not just some evangelists. It's not some some gifted people. Every saint is a priest. But we are a specific kind of priest. We are priests that offer people to God. Offer people to God for his satisfaction. So Peter said almost the same thing. He said that we come to the Lord, the living stone, as many living stones. We are being built up into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. This is in 1 Peter chapter 2. Those spiritual sacrifices include many things, even our finances, including our praise. But one of the very important things that we offer to God as a spiritual sacrifice are sinners, are believers, 
Actually, not just sinners, but believers. Because Paul also said in Colossians that what? He would teach every, every man. He would admonish every man. Uh, he would uh, exhort every man that he may one day present, offer every man full grown in Christ. So this is not just about getting someone saved and that's it. This is about feeding that person, nourishing that person, making, helping that person to grow in life and to teach them the truth, to perfect them in their function so that they would become a living, functioning member in the body of Christ to build up the church of God. Amen. That is the full presentation. So we don't just save people, we shepherd people to bring them into a full-grown state. And I can testify to you in a small way, I think many of us can testify about this, how when we do this in the church life, our church life is full of meaning. Amen. You can be in the church life coming to meetings, and you know what I mean, doing those things. You can, that's good, that's very wonderful. But if we're not doing this, we're still not that priest. And we will still find that our church life not entirely purposeful. Even our Christian existence would be not entirely meaningful until our hands is full of men, our hearts are full of people. I, I told the Chinese saints when I first served, I said, according to John 21, you know John 21, where Peter was fishing and then didn't find, find any fish. The Lord said, cast your net here. Lots of fish went onto the, uh, onto the beach. The Lord has already prepared breakfast for him. You remember that? And told him to do what? And asked him the question, do you love me? And then said what? Feed and shepherd my sheep. You remember that? So I told the saints, I said, a normal believer should have a fish on one arm and a lamb on the other. If I come and check to see whether you are a good, up-to-standard believer, that's what I will check. That's what I will check. You say, no, I love the Lord, I enjoy the Lord. Isn't that good enough? No. Your loving the Lord and enjoying the Lord is for a reason. For a purpose. It's to me for you. Right? Paul says to me. It's for you. If we are here just to take and receive and enjoy. And we're not a channel. For this same. These riches and life. To go out of us. To benefit others. Then somewhat. Those riches are wasted. So I would say, brothers, you say you love the Lord, you enjoy the Lord. Show me your fish and show me that little lamb. What sinner are you saving? And what little lambs or believers are you shepherding? Now, so this is the New Testament priesthood of the gospel. Now, I'm... I'm all done with my time already, right? 
Okay. Very quickly, uh, to refresh our memory, there are four steps in this process of offering, of priestly service. I just mentioned them, no time. Number one, to beget sinners, to save and beget sinners, to make them sons of God. That means we need to preach the gospel, share the word, and witness Christ and bring people to salvation. This may include even restoring the what? Those who are what? Uh, uh, um, Barely saved or nominal Christians. Uh, They say they're saved, they're never regenerated. There are many like this. And there would be even seeking believers that come to us in the same principle. We bring them further on in God's organic salvation. And that is the second thing. The second thing is to shepherd the young ones, to feed and nourish the young ones. Uh, One-on-one, mouth-to-mouth feeding, by appointments, by invitation to your home, by meals, by Starbucks times, to spend time. There's no, no other way but for each one of us to spend time with the ones that we're burdened for. Number three, it is to teach them the truth, to perfect them with the word of God, (coughs) to bring them even into function and service, especially you can do this, what? Uh, in, in, uh, In the home meetings, in the group meetings that we have in the church life. And finally, to help these ones to begin to speak themselves, to prophesy for the Lord, to speak for Christ, and to preach the gospel themselves. And so the cycle goes on and on and on. So brothers, when we talk about the burden for this country, we talk about Jubilee, it actually involves a lot of labor in this way, this God-ordained way. So I have no time, I just mentioned this. And here there are three things for us to enter into to, to serve in this way. Number one, we all need to live the life of a priest. That means every day we need to contact the Lord. Every day we need to be revived. Every day we need to be filled with Christ. Every day we need to be in fellowship with him. And every day we need to what? Be living in, abiding in his presence. That is, is, is a the definition of a priestly living. The second thing is that we need to be built up together. There's no uh, maverick priest. There's no renegade priest. There's only a priesthood. That means we need to be built up with one another. You need to have some companions, one or two companions, to serve together in this way. You need to be a group. You need to be in a district. You need to be in a home with some saints because none of us can go it alone and none of us can last alone. The third thing is, dear ones, this is a big one. We need to be a lover of men. We need our hearts broadened. We need to put people in our bosom. We need to love the the people like the loving father 
with a forgiving heart and like the shepherding Savior and like the seeking spirit. These are things that we all need to do. And I hope, brothers and sisters, you will, this would register. You would all rise up and be burdened in this way so that the Lord's purpose can be fulfilled. I will finish just by reading number five. The priesthood is for God's building. The focus of our service is to save sinners and offer them to God. And the goal of our service is the building up of the body of Christ. This is the ultimate goal. So you see, I'm not here just to stir all of us up to run out of here on some kind of campaign or movement. There's a much more serious burden than that. We're here for the long run. I look to the Lord in the next 10 years, 20 years, by the rising up of this priesthood in the Midwest, in all the churches doing the same thing, the Lord would bring about a solid and steady growth and increase in numbers, and even in the churches. Would you like to see that? If we grow 15%, one five, 15% per year, every church, okay? Non-compounded, all right? It's not like the first, first 12 years, that's 50% compounded. I'm, I'm really, really giving a huge discount here, okay? 15%, not 50 Simple interest, not compounded. If we do that, if we would just do that faithfully in every church. Listen. In 10 years, we will double. No sweat in 10 years. Well, I shouldn't say no sweat. <laughs> Without faithful labor. But even with that, doubling in, 20, 20, in 15 years it would be what? We would have not experienced this except for the first 12 years. This would be a huge thing. Amen? Amen. How about that? If your church have 100 people, in one year you should be 115. Amen? Amen? It's not that hard. Dear saints, it's not that hard. Really, we can do it. May the Lord bless us. I think now we just uh, come up to share something. Okay. Take the liberty to go first. Because the Lord billeted me here over 40 years ago to the Midwest. I'm not from the Midwest. I'm actually from a dairy farming village in the southwest of Scotland. And in the third, well, I was too young in the 30s, but I was born in the 30s, pre-war baby. And uh, in the 40s and the 50s, I was very much touched with the Lord because my mother prayed for me when I was in the cradle. And I remember the dates because of the war, things were happening. She prayed with me in the cradle. And I always had a touch with the Lord mentally, but I got born again when I was 17. 
but in those early years as a boy in the village, there were three church buildings, the old parish church, the United Free Church of Scotland, and the Catholic Church. And as a boy, I remember, I didn't know anything about John 17 at the time, but it just seemed incongruous to me that there would be three churches, and I had friends who went to the Catholic Church, which was not really popular in that part of Scotland in those days. It was a Catholic Protestant issue, and uh, even the soccer teams would team up by religion. But I had friends on both sides, and then in the two Scottish ones, the split, and the old parish church, I had friends. And I figured before the Lord, am I understand that time, why can't they be one? What's the need of these three? Of course, I was in the old parish, so we were it. We had the tradition, we'd been there since Covenanter days that church had been, and prior to that, a lot of blood was spilled in those hills around there. Well, here I am in the Midwest. How I got here is another whole story, but I preceded Minoro in a boat. <laughs> but, the, but the first boat I came in, I got paid. It was just pocket money learning the business of sea. That was in 53. But in 56, by the Lord's mercy and in seeking this matter of the Lord's oneness, and now, by now I knew something about John 7, 21. And it bothered me that the Lord's prayer had not been answered. And so I declared in December of 55 on my way over to New York to meet Brother Grulis Sr., who some of you know, uh, and then meet his daughter. But before I did that, the week before, I declared to the Lord, I will serve you all my life. Amen. But I added, at sea. <laughs> then I met my future wife, and the sea career went. <laughs> and then I read something in Revelation, but there'd be no more uh, sea. <laughs> My seer career is going to go sooner or later, so, uh, <laughs> and I got married in a family, and we were in New York at the time, meeting there, and then after the Erie conferences in 69, in the December conference, the Lord billeted me to the Midwest. It was that initial migration to Akron and then to, to Cleveland. And so here I am in the Lord's army, and I have been assigned here for over 40 years. I moved to Ohio in 1970 with my family. We all did. And it was a big thing. But don't be careful about making a vow. When you say you'll serve the Lord all your life, we have to stick to it, just like Hannah, which, uh, and commit to what we have to the Lord. Amen. So I lay that background because as an older brother, of which now there'll be a whole lot more of us as the baby boomers come into our age, uh, be a whole lot more of us. I just want to tell the saints, stay with your sense and the fellowship with the, with the brothers. The blending was the one that kept us all through the trials and the tribulations, the blending together. If there hadn't been that blending, I wouldn't be standing here today. Uh, to really, it was the mutuality of the brothers and the fellowship that I am here, and we are all here in the Midwest still. And we have to recover what was lost through some of those turmoils. And remember, I came from a dairy farm village 10 miles to the University of Glasgow, but where they were there, you could still get to the big campus. There was a dairy farm, and we are surrounded by dairy farms. Wisconsin, Iowa, all around there. And so in the that's why the population is less for such a big area. But there's so much opportunity here in so many places, so we encourage all the saints. If you're in a, you know, a two-horse town, 
There still is saints there who have to be brought into the Lord's, brought into function and brought into this priesthood. And there's ones that still need to be saved. And I encourage us all, and we all the ones, to support the next generation, the young generation. That's our job. Nourish them and support them as they take on this next phase. We are the, you know, we 80 year olds are still the older generation. But we've been here and we fought the good fight. But we're encouraging you now to rise up Amen. and we'll just cheer you on. Amen. Heavenly Ghost. Amen. 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 Dear saints, we hope we all can have an ear to hear this word. Amen. It's good to hear the history, to know where we came from and who we are in the Lord and in the Lord's move. But also hear a word of rejoicing. Who the Lord is as our jubilee Amen. to release us from any kind of bondage. And at the same time this morning, the brother is sharing to us a burden. Can we be understanding, understanding rightly that proportionately the churches in Michigan, in, Michigan, in the Midwest, in this country are disproportioned. On the coasts, there are a great number of churches, of localities. But in the, the middle section of this country, there is a great need. Proportionately, there are more Caucasians, there are more blacks, and there are more Hispanics than there are Asians, that there are Indians, and there are of other ethnicities. So we should look to the Lord Amen. and be believing looking as the new Jerusalem is new Amen. and it is central with its throne, with its communication, with its street and fellowship and flow. Amen. But there are four sides reaching all the earth Amen. with three gates on each side. Amen. And we have to have a three-pronged approach as the brothers are sharing, the co-workers who are with us, that there is a thought of where we're going. We're not merely looking at the past, not only looking at who the Lord is to us now, but where are we going and what is moving with us? Is this threefold approach or this three-pronged approach to gain typical Americans in this country and to focus where they're centralized in the campuses and that in the heartland of this country needs to be gained for the Lord's move. Amen.